According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. We are in Proverbs 14 once again. And uh, we're looking, we're getting ready to start verses 20 and 21. We spent a couple of weeks in verses 18 and 19 talking about some fun things prophetically, uh, particularly with the wicked or the evil that will bow down before the good, okay? That is a promise, that is an expectation, uh, that is awaiting a future eschatological fulfillment. Don't insist upon that today. Don't uh, (laughs) expect it today. If uh, there's somebody in your life that you would characterize as evil, uh, don't uh, order them to bow down before you. Uh, they will likely not do that. They will likely bring you to harm, perhaps even. Because remember, we live in the intensified stage of the angelic conflict. And so we uh, need to have our eyes open and be shrewd as serpents and harmless as doves and everything that goes with uh, being a believer priest in the church age. Uh, yet there is coming a day and uh, when uh, we see this here, the naive inherit foolishness, but the sensible are crowned with knowledge. The evil will bow down before the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. And so we have all those marvelous things to look forward to. After, of course, the rapture of the church, the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ, and ultimately the fullness of times, the thousand generations of those who love Jesus Christ in the new heavens and on the new earth. All right. So moving past that, then we get to verse 20 and 21. The poor is hated even by his neighbor. But those who love the rich are many. He who despises his neighbor sins, but happy is he who is gracious to the poor. So we've got two verses here dealing with economics, dealing with our interpersonal relationships in the community with uh, folks in in, uh, different economic circumstances. All right, before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, committing our time to the glory of Jesus Christ, humbling ourselves under the authority of His Word. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning, thankful for your grace and truth, thankful for your faithfulness, and calling upon your faithfulness, Father, this morning to um, open the eyes of our understanding, to feed us. Father, uh, be at work so that we can take in this truth as you've sent it forth. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so dealing with this now, we come to point 13. Slide 14, but it's point 13. If I have it right, there it is. Proverbs prescribes a proper perspective pertaining to poor people. All right? And I probably should rewrite that to include rich people as well. Uh, Because this does. It encompasses the poor and the rich in both of these verses. And there is a proper perspective pertaining to the poor. and, uh, And it's not to hate them. Okay? Although how common is it? that the poor are hated, that they are looked down upon, that they are rejected, that they are set aside. And uh, that's the attitude that this world has. And even, even, as it says, by his neighbor. And the neighbor, or you would think you're in a sense of community, you're in proximity, that you would have uh, harmony with your neighbor and you would have um, uh, perhaps even you know, fellowship or friendship or something. 
especially when the scripture commands you to love your neighbor, well then, um, why do you hate your neighbor? And uh, well, it's because they're poor, because they have this need, and because uh, of the circumstances and well, the carnal attitude that if you can't, uh, if, if there's no use for the person, then there's no use for the person. And that's the way this fallen world operates, sadly to say. And so we'll have to deal with it there. But those who love the rich are many, a long line of people that would be just happy to be your best friend uh, the day you win the lottery, right? Uh, I mean, it's amazing. Family members you haven't seen in years and years and years, and yet, you know, some benefit happens. It doesn't have to be the lottery. It might just be a very you know, modest inheritance of some sort, or maybe, you know, whatever. Um, amazing how when word of that spreads around that, oh, look at this, so-and-so had received a blessing, well, then all of a sudden, lo and behold, here comes, you know, everybody, you know, uncle so-and-so and Mortimer and all these people that, that are coming out of nowhere. And uh, they're going to be your new best friend because uh, they think they can get something from you. Those who love the rich are many. He who despises his neighbor sins, but happy is he who is gracious to the poor. And uh, so we've got some happiness principles that we'll be seeing here this morning. And, and these verses are so simple. They almost preach themselves, don't they? You know? And, and you, can, you can read it. This is like when Jesus in the, in, in the Sermon on the Mount says, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. It, it, these are the Beatitudes of, of Proverbs uh, and Psalms and, and the New Testament. It's happy are, happy are, happy are uh, that, uh, that Jesus was talking about. This is our recipe for personal happiness. And if you think about it, what a secret weapon. Because <laughs> we live in this world where all kinds of people are chasing after everything just on this nonstop quest to, to be happy, to find happiness everywhere. And the Bible lays it out there. Here's where we find our happiness. And, uh, and it has a very real world effect in our, in our outlook. So understand this, rich and poor can both be neighbors. You don't always get to pick your neighbors. <laughs> and uh, even when you try, even if you're very selective in you know, neighborhoods that you move to or whatever, you can try to do what you can. Uh, and even then, you still end up with some neighbors that are just jerks and, and they're very hard to, uh, to relate to <laughs> and, uh, and so forth. Obviously in a tribal economy, in an agrarian economy, the Old Testament world, yeah, they were living within their tribes, within their clans, within their families. And so uh, in, in an Old Testament way, your neighbor was probably related to you at some point, at least a cousin of some sort or an extended tribal uh, within the tribes and within the clans. The, 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 each of the villages were, were very uh, uh, clannish, were very connected. So in, in uh, Proverbs, when they say, love your neighbor, that's also somebody that has a family connection to you, somebody that you're going to be intermarrying with uh, when your, your children reach that age and, and things of that nature. Um, so you're not always able to select your, who your neighbor is. And even in, in the modern world, um, where we're not living where we're living based upon uh, tribe and clan and family and, and so forth, still there's going to be a variety amongst your neighbors, both rich and poor. And while they have uh, common weather, common welfare experiences, they have unequal earnings, savings, and wealth outcomes. And guess what? They always will. They always will. That is the way the world has worked since the beginning. It's the way the world will always work, even without sin and death. 
there will still be inequality in terms of outcome and production. And uh, this has to be clear as well. So let's start with this. <clears throat> they have common weather, you know? The, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And, and it's a principle. Matthew 5.45. And weather experiences uh, from not only rain, but tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, you name it. When, when Hurricane Harvey hit Houston, guess what? It wasn't just unbelievers that had their houses flooded out. Believers did too. And uh, you and your neighbor and your friend and your enemy and all this stuff. So there's equality when it comes to a common weather. Matthew 5.45. Um, backing up here a little bit. Matthew 5.43. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So in the Old Testament they were to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and they were to love their neighbor as themselves. Those are the two great commandments of the Old Testament. Jesus comes along and says, okay, not only love your neighbor, how about love your enemy as well? See, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount where he's amplifying Mosaic Law and stressing the mental attitudes. <clears throat> But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He causes His Son, S-U-N, to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. And so there are common human experiences. There are common things that we all deal with, whether you're saved or you're not saved, whether you're in fellowship or out of fellowship. There are laws of divine establishment for temporal life living. And there are these principles. And so these occasions allow us to model Christ. They allow us to communicate undeserved uh, grace when we suffer through undeserved suffering together. And so a flood hits. And we lose our home and they lose their home and all this stuff's happening and, and their life is devastated. And we have the peace that surpasseth all understanding. We have a divine viewpoint perspective that says, you know, this world is not my home. That uh, we start singing a, a song or something, right? We, we start rejoicing because we've laid up our treasures in heaven. We have, we have, there's something different now. And this then becomes our benefit, our opportunity that we can come alongside and we can love them. And how do we love them? We start communicating the truth. It's called speaking the truth in love. And so we, we truth them in love as part of loving our neighbor and loving our enemy and praying for those who, who uh, persecute you. And so we have these common weather experiences. And it, it goes on to say, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Big deal. Everybody does that. The unbeliever does that. You know, if you condition your love based on what have you done for me lately, well then wait a minute. Anyway, so we have that there. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. These love expressions, this is Matthew 5, these love expressions allow us to, um, to portray the love of God, the love of Christ. And it's a, it's a benefit. So Anyway, this is all a part of what we deal with with rich and poor, and, and we're living in community, whether it's Austin or Texas or the United States or even more local than that. Maybe it's your, your neighborhood, see. And so you got rich neighbors, you got poor neighbors. 
Do you show favoritism to the ones that you like and don't like? Do you show favoritism to, to ones that are worthy of your love? Okay, stop that. <laughs> Agape love does not take into account the worthiness of the object. Agape love expresses itself no matter how unloving the world. You know, God so loved the world, it's not because the world was lovey, lovely that He gave His only begotten Son. Agape love has nothing to do with whether they deserve it or not. All right, so we have common weather. We also have common welfare experiences. We're talking about welfare, that is well-being, that is uh, circumstances and details of life. Okay, Jeremiah 29.7. This is a, a great principle that, as far as why we pray for our government, why we pray for our city. Part of the instructions that the Jews were given when they were taken away to captivity, that the Babylonians were putting them in chains and hauling them off. And you think, what could be worse than slavery? What could be worse than being captured from your homeland, put in chains, and dragged off to a place, you know, you don't belong? Well, God says, hey, look look at this. I'm going to bring you back. It's going to be 70 years. And in the meantime, while you're there, you've got ministry to pursue. How about that? <laughs> so, Jeremiah 29 and uh, oh, let's see here. Well, verse 1, these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And I think he enjoyed writing this letter. I think he enjoyed communicating to people that might actually listen to him. Because the people that were in Jerusalem weren't listening to him. They hated him. They, they, they abused him. Anyway, this says, after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the court officials, the princes of Judah in Jerusalem, the craftsmen and smiths had departed from Jerusalem. So Daniel's there, Ezekiel's there, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they're all there. And, and God had taken them to captivity to rescue them. They were the remnant that he was sparing before the judgment hit Jerusalem. So the letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So don't hate the Babylonians. Don't resent them. Don't blame them for taking you away from your homes. Yahweh here says, I sent you there. I did it. It's my sovereignty at work. That's a beautiful thing. And especially since he calls himself here Yahweh Tsevayoth, the Lord of hosts, the Lord God of the armies. Okay, That's his battlefield name. That's his army name. That means he's, he's fixing to arrive and, and inflict some wrath. And the good news is, is he got them out of the way. He sent them safely to, ba- to Babylon for their own protection. He goes on to say, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Now that takes time. How long does it take to build a house? How long does it take to plant a garden? How long does it take to to harvest the crop? In other words, think long term. You won't be returning immediately. And depending on how old you are, you may not be returning at all. Because the return is going to happen in 70 years. Okay, What do you intend to do in 70 years from now? Right? Well, I don't know. Christopher's the youngest of us here. What does he intend to do 70 years from now? 
yeah, Linty, what do you intend to do 70 years from now? I trust none of us are going to be here 70 years from now. Okay? I don't know, we got some youngins here, but nevertheless, rapture pending, I don't want to be here 70 days from now. I mean, rapture pending, let's just go. But long term, so he says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become fathers of sons and daughters. So, uh, you know, don't think you're going to wait to return back to Jerusalem before you get married. Your life's going to continue for 70 years of captivity. And take wives for your sons and your daughters and your husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not increase. And so remember, this is kind of similar to what they did in Egypt. There were slaves in Egypt, but they were multiplying, they were increasing. In fact, so much so, the Pharaoh got nervous and tried to kill the boys and, and the baby boys and that. And um, multiply there and do not decrease. A culture that doesn't increase, if, if you're in demographic decline, that's not good. And uh, Western Europe and America have been there now for some time in a stagnant kind of way. It's a fright, frightening thing. All right. Then it says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray. So there's two things. Seeking the welfare of the city, that's an active thing that we do, and then prayer. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. So we do, we, 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 we're engaged, we're engaged in our culture, we're engaged in our community, we pay our taxes, we run our businesses, we operate for the benefit of our neighbors. We, uh, we want to increase the value of our city. And we pray for our city. On its behalf, or in its welfare, you will have welfare. You know, do we want do we want the economy of Austin to thrive? Of course. Are we happy and thrilled when you know South by Southwest comes in and millions of dollars are pumped into the economy? That's a I think that's a neat thing to have millions of dollars pumped into the economy. Pump more in there, lower my taxes, <laughs> okay? Whatever, you know. And of course we grumble and complain. We don't like the traffic and the hotels are all filled up and there's other things, but all right, I'll take that and I'll pray for the city and whatever. And then I'll, uh, I'll kind of smile when the mayor wants to brag about how smart he is and all these uh, policies they think are making Austin rich or as, they, or as they're keeping Austin weird. Whatever. Boast about it, brag about it, run for re-election. Do what you're doing, but I know that Austin Bible Church is praying for you. And I know that blessing by association has real world impact. And you can claim all these things are the reason why we have blessing. There's a reason why Texas weathered the recession better than a lot of states did back in 08 and 09 and, and, and all that. The country was in a lot of trouble. A lot of states were in a lot of trouble. Texas weathered it fairly well. Why? Okay, well... Secular uh, historians can write what they write and uh, economists and whatever can uh, write what they write and whatever and they're going to blame George W. Bush and they're going to praise Obama. What are they going to do? They're doing it still to this day. You know, either hating Trump or loving Trump or whatever they're doing. Failing to recognize, of course, that blessing by association. If there are believers under doctrine that are praying for their political leaders, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will have welfare. 
And so maybe you're someplace you don't want to be, but God puts you there, so pray for him. All right. So rich and poor, we've got them. We've got neighbors that are rich, we've got neighbors that are poor. And while we have common weather and common welfare experiences, we have unequal outcomes, unequal earnings, unequal savings, unequal wealth outcomes, and always will. That's always going to be the case. And, and, you know, even with common weather, does that mean your crops are going to be equal to his crops? What if, what, if, what if you didn't work as hard and so you had more weeds and he worked harder and did better clearing out those weeds? Or what if, um, what if you didn't repair the hole in your fence and, and a, a predator got in there and ate your chickens or whatever, and then, but he kept his fence in repair? Okay, um, you know, equality is this is this is this idol, and Satan promotes that idol, the idol of equality, and it's just it's it's just not what he designed, and so there are differences, richer, poor, outcomes are never the same, and um, and uh, and so there you have it, there will be unequal earnings, and then even if there's So you have unequal earnings. This guy earns more, this guy earns less. But maybe this guy saves more. Even though he earned less, he saved more. Because this guy earned more and then spent more. Spent way more. And so he's got a monster debt issue. And this guy that didn't earn so much actually has a a better savings uh, situation. Right? Because this guy went to a Dave Ramsey seminar. And this guy just, you know, whatever. Uh, So it's not... There's all kinds of variables, there's all kinds of differences. And it's not about who's making right choices, who's making poor choices, sometimes it is. Sometimes it's about who's making right choices, but just rough things happen. Okay? And, uh, and so the earnings can be different, the savings can be different, the wealth outcome can be different. And, uh, and that's always going to be the case. Always, 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 because God designed this world to be a productive world, and He designed us to be productive in what we're doing. So, uh, I think Deuteronomy speaks to this. I think Matthew speaks to this. Deuteronomy 15.11. And understand that. Yes, there's not equality. If you took every dollar in the country today and you just confiscated every last red cent, every nickel, and then you equally distributed it to every human being in the country so that starting at noon today, we're all equal. How long does it take before we've got rich and poor again? How long does it take before... It won't take long, okay? It won't take long at all. All right, so uh, Deuteronomy 15.11... Some folks are going to be productive and some folks are going to be unproductive. And then even within the productive, there's going to be a spectrum of more or less. So, uh, let's see. Talking about a Sabbath year. There's a lot of things here. And this is, this is curious to me. Uh, now, we're not under law and, and there's nothing in, the, in, in American culture that well, there kind of is. Um, no, there kind of isn't. I mean, we've got bankruptcy laws, I suppose. 
the end of every seven years you shall grant a remission of debts. Okay? And now in, in the modern world, somebody that declares bankruptcy, they go through a process, and then yeah, there's going to be a time period. Sometimes it happens to be seven years uh, before your credit rating is restored and other things are repaired and then uh, things like that can happen. But they, it was written into their law. A Sabbath year. Wrote off your debt. So you, you get a, a, fresh, uh, a fresh beginning again. This is the matter of remission. Every creditor shall release what he has loaned to his neighbor. Um, shall not exact it on his neighbor and on his brother because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. And um, anyway, so there's some principles here. It is a financial chapter. Uh, verse 7. Um, let's see, verse 6. The Lord your God will bless you as He has promised you. You will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. You will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. Okay, Because remember, the, 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 the debtor is, is in debt. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're a slave. The borrower is a slave to the lender. And uh, you can loan, but don't take that loan in, in, in the, the warnings that are given there of that debt. If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns, in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother. And, and notice it doesn't say, well, why is he poor? <laughs> you know, it doesn't say, well, did he make dumb choices? Well, is he, you know, he should have, he shouldn't have done that. It didn't say how he got there. Was it something he should have done better, smarter? Would he, did he make a poor choice? Are we going to blame him? You know, is our choice of, of, of grace dependent upon whether we think he deserves it or not? Well, that's not grace. <laughs> grace, he didn't deserve it. So what do we, you know, are we more sympathetic if it was, if it was you know, a tornado knocked his house down or he got drunk and kicked a lamp over and burned his own house down? All right. Neither guy's got a house. Um, am, am I conditioning my love, my grace, my charity, my, you know, um, it's curious the way humans operate sometimes. All right. So here's your, here's the poor. You shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother. That hurts both of you, but you shall freely open your hand to him. You shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Now notice, he's going to have to work. He's going to have to work hard to rebuild. And you're not just giving him nothing. You're, it says lend him. Okay, He will repay. Because that's what neighbors do. Um, freely lend him. And uh, beware that there is no base thought in your heart saying, ooh, wait a minute, we're one year away from the Sabbath year here. <laughs> yeah. Too bad that fire didn't hit six years ago or five years ago. You know, it's, 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 we're getting too close to that Sabbath year here and he's got a shorter time to pay it back. And what if he doesn't pay it back? Now, he still might. But because of the Sabbath year, he's, he, he's free. Free and clear. All right. So beware there's no base thought in your heart saying the seventh year of the year of remission is near and your eye is hostile toward your poor brother and you give him nothing. Then he may cry to the Lord against you and it will be a sin in you. You shall generously give to him and your heart shall not be grieved 
when you give to Him. And you're thinking, why couldn't it have been the next neighbor over or the next neighbor over, you know? (laughs) Why did it have to be this neighbor this year? Because God's testing you and you're on the verge of blowing it right now. So humble yourself and pass the test. Anyway, this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. You know, you say, oh, why does it have to be now? It's, it, well, it's always. It's not just now. It's always. It just so happens that the particular now of, you know, this now of the always happens to be your neighbor. And what if next year you're the one whose house burns down? What if next year you're the one with a crop failure? You're the one that has the, the, uh, the issues. All right, so the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore I command you, saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy, and the poor in your land. See? And so that's the reality. Jesus said the same thing. The poor you will have with you always. Matthew 26, 11. You know, Jesus was just quoting Scripture there. He was bringing the application forward from Deuteronomy. Matthew 26, 11. And here they're grumbling. And this addresses some other things too with respect to how we approach money and what we think uh, it's, it's, it should be used for. When Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of some very costly perfume and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And the disciples were indignant when they saw this. And they said, why this waste? You know, can you believe that? Can you believe the amount of money that was just poured over his head? This perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. All right. Now, okay, yeah. That could be given to the poor. But that's not what the woman wanted to do. What did the woman want to do? She wanted to bless Jesus. Okay? It's her money. It's her perfume. Give her a break. Relax. You know? Um, don't, don't be prejudiced against a poor person for being poor or whatever and, and not having, you know. But just the same thing. If, if there's a rich person and they're doing whatever, don't hate them for it. Don't be resentful for it. Don't grumble about it. Don't tell them that they're making a poor choice. I, I kind of think they, they know how to make choices. I don't know how she got rich or, who, or how she got that, but whatever. Okay? If somebody wants to drive a Ferrari, good for them. Now, could they sell the Ferrari and buy a, you know, a modest thing, whatever? I don't want to insult anybody by naming your car brand a car. But, you know, you could buy a Yugo. Anybody here have a Yugo? Or one of those... Uh, those dumb little smart cars, they look like they're just a coffin. Like you're, you're prepaying your burial expenses because when that thing crashes, then that's your coffin they're going to bury you in when this tiny little smart car thing is... And they're not cheap either. Anyway, you want to drive a limousine, you want to drive a Lamborghini, you want to drive a, 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 a whatever. Get a top-of-the-line Mercedes-Benz and God bless you. All right? None of my business. It's your money. Buy the car you want to buy. 
And I'm not going to, no one's going to be judgmental or legalistic about it. See, that's the thing. All right. And uh, it's not our business. So the disciples were indignant. And, and, uh, and Jesus, aware of this, said, why do you bother the woman? She has done a good deed to me. You always, for you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. All right? Next week, go take care of the poor. But he's getting ready to go to the cross. And they seem to be living in this denial. He's told them over and over and over again he's going to the cross. And they're like, nope, don't believe it, don't believe it. I don't want to hear it. Far be it from thee, Lord. This will never happen to you. And they're not prepping to bury him, but this woman is anointing him. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be spoken of in memory of her. In other words, she's the great, she's the illustration for having a grace perspective on, on what we do with our money and what we do as redeemed ones based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But the poor you will have with you always. So there you have it. I think it's ludicrous. I think it's utopian. I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's insane to think that, uh, to dream of a world without poverty. Are you kidding me? What world do you live in? All right? And, and it just comes, and it, it's not new, um, and even the modern versions of it are not new. We, we, we point to Engels and Marx, we point to communism and this, this utopia of everyone's going to be equal, and, and it it's, wasn't even new to Marx, okay? It goes back, you know, you got Plato wrote about in the Republic about this utopian society. Everyone's got this dream of utopia. This dream of a perfect world, that we're going to make it a perfect world. No, there is a perfect world on the way, and we're not going to make it. It's according to His promise, we're looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And you'll note, even then, will that be a world of equality? No, no. Equality is a myth. Equality is, is an idol. Satan uses equality. The equality idol is Satan's tool to tweak uh, jealousy, to tweak envy, to, uh, to view inequality, which is everywhere. The whole world is designed on an unequal basis. And Satan uses inequality to, to tweak envy. Okay? Anyway, might as well dream of a world without oxygen <laughs> and have fun there. So, the poor you will have with you always. There will always be people with more, there will always be people with less. That's the nature of productivity. It's interesting. Hate and love are contrasted in our proverb. Proverbs 14 contrasts hate and love. But remember, the command is to love your neighbor. <laughs> okay? Proverbs 14 contrasts hate and love, but never forget the command is to love your neighbor. Especially if he's poor and can do nothing for you. especially if he's poor and can do nothing for you. Leviticus 19.18, Luke 10.27, these are all the passages for love your neighbor. Romans 13.9, Galatians 5.14. It's not just under the law, Jesus amplified it for the application in the church. Especially if he's poor and can do nothing for you. 
Leviticus 19. Verse 17 says, You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but you shall not incur sin because of him. Remember, it's the issue in terms of their being neighbors. They are family. They are clan. They are, uh, his neighbor is an heir to the Abrahamic covenant, same as he is. Okay, It's like when we rebuke our brother. We don't regard him as an enemy. We admonish him as a brother, saved by the grace of God. Um, so you shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And uh, part of a huge chapter. In fact, if you read through all of this chapter, you're going to see neighbor, 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 neighbor in uh, many of these verses. But that's the commandment, to love your neighbor. And uh, to do so in the context of who the Lord is and uh, those issues there. Luke ten twenty seven then. In the New Testament. It's a, it's a summation. In fact, the whole law can be summarized on two points. The direction Godward and then the direction manward. The lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So he threw it right back to him and said, Well, what's written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Okay? And, uh, (laughs) of course, this lawyer, like any lawyer, wants to know what's the fine print. So wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and so who is my neighbor? (laughs) And that leads into the the Good Samaritan story. Anyway, the command is to love your neighbor, even if he's a Samaritan, even if you don't like him, even if you don't like him, love him. Okay? And uh, there you have it. Romans 13, 9. Our application in the church age. Curious enough, verse 8 says, Owe nothing to anyone... And that's a follow-up to verse 7. Render what is due to, to them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And uh, then based on that then, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So think about it. Any other commandment, thou shalt not steal. Well, stealing isn't love, so if you're loving your neighbor, you won't steal from him, right? Adultery, that's not love. If you're, if you're cheating on your wife, that's not love. Uh, all those other commandments uh, kind of fix themselves if you're loving your neighbor, if you're loving the Lord God. So that's why you can sum up all the law with these two commands. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of of the law. That's New Testament folks, that's church age, that's you and that's me. We don't keep the law, we, Christ fulfilled the law and the requirements are fulfilled in us so long as we walk, walk 
in Christ. Okay, Galatians 5.14. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. You were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Just because we're not under law and we're under grace, that's not a woo-hoo, sin, sin up the world, do what you want to do. No. Not a license to sin. It's an opportunity through love to serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, that is the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, <laughs> what are you doing? Take care that you are not consumed by one another. So, the command is to love your neighbor. Old Testament, New Testament, more so for us since we're redeemed by the blood of Christ. Especially if he's poor and can do nothing for you. Now, Luke is the gospel that gives us this, and I think that's significant because you know Matthew presents Christ the king, Mark presents Christ the servant, it's Luke that presents Christ the man, Christ and his humanity. And so many of the parables and so many of the the emphasis that in, the, in these passages in Luke that, that Luke makes, they center on where we are in our humanity. And I like that. So in Luke 6, 31 through 34, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Right? And that's a golden rule. So, you know, if you don't want them to treat you like a jerk, then don't treat them like a jerk. <laughs> okay? Um... If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. It's not a you scratch your my back, I'll scratch yours kind of mutual admiration thing. No. And um, if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, you know, what credit is that to you? Are you looking for the payback? Are you looking for, you know, what you get out of it? Say, hey, I'm I'm bailing them out of a tough spot. I can't wait to 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 call in this favor because uh, boy, they owe me now. Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Do you realize that? Lending. If you're lending in grace, if you're lending in sacrificial, unconditional love, if you're lending, I don't want people that say, well, I don't lend, I just give. It's, it's a grace gift. Well, if you're lending without expecting to return, isn't that functionally the same thing? If you're lending expecting that it won't be repaid back, and then when it does get repaid back, then that's just grace return because it's grace both directions. So if, uh, expecting nothing in return, your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So if you only extend grace to those you think can pay you back, that's not grace. God saved us by grace and we couldn't pay Him back. <laughs> Did He only die on the cross for those He thought deserved it? No, He died on the cross for everyone who didn't deserve it. Because nobody deserves it. So to me that's that's powerful. How about chapter 10? Again, this is the who's my neighbor. Uh, We were just there. Yeah, the who's my neighbor. And then he goes on to talk about the good Samaritan. And and what's this guy going to get back? And so uh, 
And we know the story, right? The, uh, Jesus replied, said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So there's no love there. Likewise, the Levite also came to the place, saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan was on a journey, came upon him. When he saw him, he felt compassion. Came to him, bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. (laughs) Look at the financial obligation he's putting himself under. And he has no expectation that this guy's even going to live long enough to pay him back. He might not live at all. So which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell in the robber's hand? So expecting nothing in return. Loving your neighbor, especially if he's poor and can do nothing for you. And then uh, chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. third story on this. You know, tell the story. Tell it over and over again. And uh, Oh, I don't think that's the right Hmm. Nope, that doesn't seem right. Alright, this is one that says um No, those are not the verses I'm thinking of. Okay, well, I will find it for next week. How about that? Wrong verses. All right. It was my, one of my favorite ones, too. Doggone it. Is it chapter 14? Yes, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. And, uh, and, and this one, even if you back up to verse 7, there's, there's a, lots of doctrine you can get out of this one, but... Um, he began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor, <clears throat> of honor at the table. Saying, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. Uh, for someone maybe more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. How embarrassing is that? You know, and how presumptuous of you. Okay? You know, this is for the, the, the maid of honor or the, the best man or something, you know, and you know, you belong over there. So the one who invited you is going to come and say, give your place to this man and in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. Not only that, you probably should have been seated higher, but by this time they're all taken. Now you've got to go to the sit at the kitty table or something at the side room or wherever. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place. Just assume you're the least important person there in any room you walk into. So that when the one who has invited you come, he may say to you, hey friend, move up higher and then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. What are you doing way over there? No, 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 come sit up here. You should be up here. Okay? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
This is the principle we're studying right now in Philippians chapter 2. This is the kenosis doctrine. And Jesus emptied himself. Jesus humbled himself. So he's exalted. He went on to say, now, maybe you're the host next time. Maybe you're giving the luncheon. He went on to say when, uh, to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives. In other words, do not only invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So how about that? Okay. So, you know, how do you choose your guest list and who do you choose, you know, and whatever. Well, there you go. Thank you, Christopher. Yeah, not one of them missed that one. All right. Despising is sin. Despising is sin. And it's not just a sin of omission, but it is a willful opposition to the plan of God. Despising is a sin. Not just a sin of omission, right? Doug's got a song for James 4.17. If you know the good to do and you don't do it, that's a sin. So uh, when you see your brother in need and you close your heart against him, when you're not gracious to the poor and you know you're supposed to be, that's a sin. And yes, it is a sin of omission, and it's not only is it a sin of omission, it is a willful opposition to the plan of God. 1 John chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, all of those chapters are dealing with loving your brother. They're dealing with, uh, dealing with it here. 1 John 2. Why do you think God designed us to be brothers? Why do you think God designed us to care for one another? Why do you think God designed us to, to bear the burdens of those without strength and not just please ourselves? 1 John 2, 9, the one who says he's in the light yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. Verse 11 says, uh, the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So I, I, I just see the parallels here. This is 1 John. This is the parallel like we have in Proverbs 14. It's a love and hate, it's a love and hate dichotomy. And uh, Proverbs is presenting it between brothers, First John's uh, between neighbors. First John's presenting it between brothers, but it's the same message, the same dichotomy. Do I love my neighbor? Do I hate my neighbor? Do I love my brother? Do I hate my brother? And if I hate my brother, do I know what darkness that is? Do I know how, how uh, on the path that I'm on and the, the expectation of God's wrath I'm setting myself up for? Chapter 3, verse 10. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor does the one who does not love his brother. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So what John's doing here is taking all the teaching that Jesus gave about murder and hate Remember in Matthew 5? And, and he says, look, you hate your brother, so you're a murderer. 
He's making the application there from Matthew 5. And you're walking in darkness and you're a murderer. What's the eternal destiny of murderers? Yeah, okay. And so uh, we know love by this, that He laid down His life for us. We know love by this because Christ laid down His life on the cross. You're not laying down your life for anybody. You're not loving your brother. You're not sacrificial on his behalf. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? It doesn't. Okay? Answer the rhetorical question. It's obvious. You're not walking the way you're supposed to walk if that's, if, if that's what's happening. So it's, it's far worse than just a sin of omission. It is an active, op- willful opposition to the plan of God. How tragic is that for a born-again believer who should know better, who has the Scripture to apply, and he's walking like an unbeliever? Pathetic. Uh, chapter 4, and, and I'm out of time, but verses 7 through 21, okay? I was going to say, we'll pick up on that next week, but it's going to be two weeks from now. Um, because there's also a D that we have to stop and get our happiness lessons. There's happiness comes through the expressions of grace. So we'll pick that up in two weeks. Um, the uh, We'll read this uh, this passage as well. I'll drop myself a note so I don't forget. Start here next time. All right. Um, because it's verse... It's, it's 14 verses from verse 7, 15 verses from verse 7 to verse 21. And it's all centered on love, not hate. It's all centered on the legitimate expressions of love as, as believers one to another in the body of Christ. Okay? It's not how the world defines love, but it's how God defines love. And, uh, and it's, it's expected. We love because He first loved us. And, and it's expected. And then we should, if we're, if we're being transformed, we should not, it shouldn't be a have to anyway. It should be a want to. We should be so grace-oriented that we're looking for those opportunities. We should be so positive and ready and eager and constantly exercising that kind of love that, that uh, you know, we're, we're doing it already and we're looking for the next opportunity. We're looking for the next opportunity. And if, if we learn about something too late to do anything about it, we get sad. Oh, I wish I would have known. I could have, I could have done something there. I, could, I wanted to do something there. And we're disappointed if we hear about something too late. Okay? All right. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the reminders that we have on love versus hate, on uh, our neighbors, on our brothers, on who we are in the body of Christ. I pray that we learn these lessons. We learn them in the spiritual realm. We also learn them in the, in the secular realm, in, in the world around us, Father, that we will be gracious and generous to those, that, Father, we would be living testimonies to the grace of God and the generosity that saves all of us, Father. I thank you for these blessings and for a biblical perspective. I thank you, Father, that we're not um, enslaved to a a political system or a secular economic model, that, Father, and I thank you, oh, thank you, Father, that we're not looking to government to bring about a a perfect world. Father, uh, we had an election yesterday, and, and yet we know that's not bringing in the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Thank you for divine viewpoint perspective that allows us to reflect truth even though we, uh, we live in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation. 
Thank you for being faithful, Father. We uh, do pray for the coming week and uh, the conference in Houston. Ask for your blessing on the teaching there. And uh, just look forward to seeing your, your, your plan glorified. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.